Welcome to I Play, Therefore I Am. In our conversations with extraordinary games industry professionals, we discover their unique career stories, and we also find out about their personal development and philosophical journeys. This podcast is a co-production of MediaNet, Berlin-Brandenburg, and Now Media, and brought to you fresh from the games capital Berlin, as part of the program MediaNet Games International. I'm Simon. I'm Florian. And we will be your hosts for this program. Gaming meets philosophy. I play, therefore I am. Hello and welcome to our podcast, I Play, Therefore I Am. Today's guest is Ata Sergej who lives and works in Berlin as co-founder of the studio Topper Games. He had a start in games through modding and later working at Paradox Interactive. Torpor Games was founded in 2016 and had their debut title Suzerain, a game about being a leader and making decisions for a whole country and its people. Besides that, he's a very active member in the games community, being situated in Factory Berlin, a community and co-working space. He started a circle for games there and is running community events for the space, but also for the industry. This interest stems from his previous work, founding his own NGO and also running TEDx events. And I invited Atta on the podcast because it is always a delight to talk with him. And I have done so a lot recently. And so I believe we already had a whole podcast episode of topics between us. And so the, it made sense to finally start recording it and bringing Simon in to the mix. My name is Florian. My co-host, as mentioned, is Simon. Hello, Simon. Hello. Good afternoon. And uh, our guest, Ada, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thanks for the nice intro. Um, really appreciate being here. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. We usually start off with like an intro question just to see where our guests are at. So is there anything that is currently on your mind? being like a, a important work topic, something a project is related to anything that comes to mind? I mean, right now we're working on our DLC that is uh, set to release relatively soon. So um, that's a lot on my mind. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting trying to provide something different, whereas it's still a bit of the same because it's using the same base game. So mm -hmm. that's something that's on my mind. And beyond, honestly, one of the things that is on my mind more recently is the societal change, you know, that is happening, especially in Germany, but also like, you know, across, across the world. Um, but more recently, very close to home here. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was one of the reasons why we started Torpor Games and, um, we wanted to talk about society through games. And now I feel like it's getting more important than ever as we see like a lot of the political landscape shift here in Germany too. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good start. I think that leads us into talking a little bit about Suzerain, your, your first game. That is the game that you're also working on a DLC for at the moment. And, uh, you, you talked a little bit about the, the background, but can you tell us, uh, more about the specifics of Suzerain, what the player has to do there? Yeah, for sure. I mean, Suzerain is a very interesting and odd type of game. Um, it is actually a mixture of multiple genres. Um, but at its core, you play a president and rule over a nation. 
this nation is a fictional nation and your experience is mostly a mixture of role-playing um, dialogues and uh, making strategic decisions regarding like government affairs. Um, but what Suzerain really stands out with is the personal emotional aspect and its connection to characters, um, not logical problem solving. And this is something that, you know, I believe that is key to uh, create empathy and understanding towards uh, these difficult positions of power, but also understanding how society is uh, always like a moving um, and very complicated piece of a, of a machine. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's uh, kind of what Suzerain does tell. So nothing complicated at all, actually, like a re really, really nice startup game for a new studio. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we don't make it easy on ourselves. That's that's for sure. Not only the fact that you know half of the industry was uh, going around saying that you should never add politics into games, but then on top of that, we also try to mix different genres together, which is something that everybody tells you not to do. And on uh -huh. top of that, somebody and we released in December in 2020. That is also some, what everybody told us not to do. <laughs> so I think like we're a tale of a lot not to dos that is somehow existing through pure motivation and passion, hard work, and of course, our community and the people who support us. Mm. I, I feel like there's, there's, as you mentioned, like half the, half the industry will tell you, don't put politics into games. And the other half is the half that says, there are no games without politics. Every game is political. Yeah. <laughs> those are the those are the two positions that can be held, I guess. Yeah, true. <laughs> And as as befits the political topics, of course, there's nothing in between. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. No gray areas whatsoever. Everything is black and white. I mean, this is how life is, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, before we we dive a little bit deeper, can you tell us how big your team is at the moment? Um, we're in total 12 people and then we have like a lot of partner organizations and, and people that are like working on contract uh, to support our operations. Hmm. Yeah, we, we were joking a little bit about uh, the gray areas and that's actually a very good cue because of course your game is a standout game specifically because it revolves around all those gray areas. Can you talk a little bit about what's the like the problem or what are the challenges when making a game about politics and political decisions and like why <laughs> there isn't only black and white? <laughs> I mean, it's interesting, right? Um, that you, we humans have a lot of biases and we really heavily focus on the biases we have in that political experience of the story of Anton Rain, and also now like the story of King Romus and also the story of Orvin and other characters that we're designing as uh, main characters. Um, but the challenge generally is that um, a lot of people uh, don't really understand that this medium is super powerful to, to actually tackle these complicated subjects. And the, the image of the medium for a significant part in the world is still hasn't, you know, gotten to the point of film and TV yet. So for us, like the challenge is whenever we take, for example, something that already exists in a film or is, you know, already done in a, in a TV show, but then we try to put it in games, we're always slightly concerned that, okay, like, will people get this because in this medium, there's a different perception. So there's a perception challenge. I mean, you know, it was a bit scary for us to tackle certain 
sensitive subjects, but as long as we, you know, gave it the right research, we represented it through multiple characters and viewpoints. And that's the challenge in our way of making games, which is multi-perspective political entertainment, which means that, you know, we just don't put a single political opinion, we put multiple in and we give the player the option to explore them. Um, we do this to make the whole subject meta. So like, if you can play within these subjects as in understand why certain political decisions exist, then you can actually take that knowledge and actually reflect back on reality. And we want people to look outside and understand reality a bit more through games and maybe rethink their positions. Um, we don't like telling people how to think. It's more about like raising more questions so you open up your mind. It's kind of like a philosophical approach in a way, actually, mm -hmm. asking more questions. And we see a significant challenge in like fostering a community when we're lucky we've we've established a so quite solid and strong community that sees value in this um but essentially i've said this before you know like the world is its own storytelling machine like when you look out when you read into history you read things and you see things that are like very complex a lot of times very tragic to be fair with you but also a lot of like amazingly um, motivating stories are out there um, but for some reason with games, we don't want to like look out again. And we just want to turn that whole thing upside down. We're like, okay, art reflects back on society. Society creates art. And that is part of where games can be. Mm. Do you, or wh why do you think games are so different than movies or, or other, other media in that perspective? There are a couple of things. I mean, essentially, it is a younger medium. Um, mm -hmm. it, it took a bit, you know, movies and, and, and film in general had like a much longer time. What was interesting with film and movies, like looking at stuff like Metropolis, for example, um, there were these massive, very societal productions from the get-go. Um, very early in like, you know, the film history, you see works already very deeply um, thinking about society and how the way we live and who we are. Um, with games, there are some as well, right? Um, people said that Suzerain is like hidden agenda, which when we developed, we didn't know a game like that existed, but it's a, and it's an MS-DOS game about mm -hmm. a country in, it's a 1988 game. And wow. we were really fascinated by and like, oh my God, some of the elements do like, you know, like feel like Suzerain because you're also at a table. You're also talking to advisors, you're making decisions and. You know, uh, we're a bit more emotional and we're a bit more like we have still a bit more emotion than that game. But, you know, it, it did exist. But for some reason, whenever um, like games became, you know, heavily commercialized, uh, a lot of the, the taking risks regarding uh, a stance or society has, has taken a few steps back. Uh, this is the thing we see in other industries as well, right? When there's a lot of capital and, and seriousness involved behind something, a lot of people don't want to take as many risks anymore. They don't want to have a potential, you know, fallout because of something that they've said or happened, um, which is understandable. I know where that's coming from. Uh, there are a few other aspects as well beyond that, which is like a political and cultural aspect. Um, we've seen that politics and some co conservative parties specifically have used games as like a political tool to kind of alienate the, the newer generation from the older generation of voters because they said, oh, games are violent. They do this to our kids. This was a way to appeal to their own voter bases. Mm -hmm. And this in turn costs the image of games as a mature entertainment form. 
And there are very few studios that dare to do, you know, the stuff like we do. Uh, you need to be a bit wild, to be fair with you, <laughs> to do this stuff. It, this, it's really a passion thing. It's kind of like, you know, I look at it, it's as if like we're, we're an NGO, actually. Um, we might be a company, but essentially, you know, the, the passion and energy is that of an NGO. Uh, we're just trying to make everything financially work still to make that big impact uh, in many angles. So, yeah, there are some of those issues there. And there are probably more that we can talk about, but... Yeah, yeah, you can add into it. I also wanted to maybe give a little take on it. Uh, while you were talking, I thought that I think there's a, a difference between games and movies because the, um, there's a participatory element in games, right? And mm. I don't know if you already um, mentioned that specifically. It sounded like not to me, but you want your players to be in the game long, essentially, for that. that's a success metric for your game, right? And like yeah. a movie is like one, two, three hours long and you throw it at the viewer and then it's like, then you, you've got your sale or your, your or, or, or your, even if we're not talking money, you've got your view, your, your watch. You know, you don't need ongoing watch time. That's not how a movie success is celebrated. The ongoing time kind of happens in your head then. And if you're like, as a player, you need to participate in political complexity I think that's like quite the ask of the player, right? Like, and and I, but I think it's it's really great that you're doing this because I think now is the time. I, I also got thinking about like, kind of you you, you scratch that surface of kind of plurality, and uh, I was thinking of spiral dynamics and kind of like accepting integrating more plurality. You know that that one character, one person, dare dare I say, any individual could hold. Multi multiple political views, right? And uh, it seems like you're... Uh, I, I will play the game. I haven't yet, but it seems like you're challenging that. And um, that's not obviously fun <laughs> because <laughs> in politics, the fun game is to have a political view and then fight everybody else, you know? And um, I and I totally get how, you, how you're building that in order to uh, also subtly promote, let's say, or offer the... or erase the question of plurality to... To all potential players yeah i mean there there are quite a few good points you've mentioned there i mean about player agency um yeah it it does um add like this big factor that makes game games i think the most powerful medium in my opinion although you know we're in the industry and we're a bit closer so our opinions are kind of biased here probably um but i think that agency that does something to our brains um and you know i i studied um some neurological science at the university regarding my translation studies. And I also looked at some neurological um, research papers regarding how our brain actually forms when we grow up and like what type of inputs change things. I mean, another thing is super clear, the brain is still a lot like of a mystery, but we see that um, our brain is really dynamically grown, grows and connects neurons. And it does this through experiences that, you know, we accumulate throughout life. And I think um, giving uh, games and giving choice and having people experience something can be a super powerful way of wiring your brain to not just think of a single perspective, but really think of multiple perspectives. This becomes really complicated with political subjects, but honestly, you know, the human bias, the thing I mentioned at the start is we have to oversimplify things because we are bombarded by information. This is the way we, how we operate, um, which then leads to a lot of problems because a lot of complex issues have very complex details and they cannot really be put into this like it's either that or this. 
it's actually, you know, if you have to be breaking it down, you have to spend time on it, but we don't have that time. Um, mm -hmm. So with our game, we try to say that, you know, you could express a wide variety of political opinion based on subject could be, you know, be it the economy, be it welfare, be it the military, be it your constitution, be it your minority rights, and still have like, you know, an experience that resembles a real politician. And that is something that hasn't been done as much before, because yes, there is that aspect that, yeah, the medium is not being treated as maturely, even though, you know, I would argue that um, agency makes it even more mature because if you are forced to accept what is given to you in a political context, if you watch a propaganda movie, right, then you don't have any option to change anything about the circumstances. But if you play a propaganda game, you could make the propaganda work for you, against you, you can break it down. You know, there's all these like, there are options. And I think options make things really interesting as an experience. It's also very challenging to produce, to be fair with you, because we have a lot of branching content and it gets really wild. Um, but to the point of like political expression, um, one of the things that was important for us is to, how do these political leaders think and act and why do they act that way? I mean, there's a reason why the world isn't like roses and butterflies, right? <laughs> and we wanna really go down to the core aspects of what are the obstacles that are making sure we don't get to that better world like what is standing between us and a better world and what are the reasons and that's why when the the scenarios we created like swordland as a country for example we have a really complex scenario of like there are factions there are like you know the oligarchs that represent a lot of the capital they've got a lot of got a lot of power after privatization in the recent decades we have the old guard that hold like institutional power like the supreme court and stuff um and we have the political parties that are you know, vying for power as well. And there are all these other things in the society that are between you and what you want to change about this society and this country. And I think this is important for us to reflect because, again, if we could have be a better world, we would have. And so what is the specific thing that is blocking us from getting there? It's different power groups, it's different socioeconomic and political um, webs. And if you ever become president, you know, after playing suzerain, you might be slightly more aware of all these things that are there in reality and how to really circumvent them. And also how certain authoritarian figures act the way they do and, you know, how they, you know, appeal to their base and how do they gain the power of some parts of society to oppress another part of society, because that's the way they function and that's how their political structure works. All these complex things we try to like condense into like a 10 or so hour experience, basically. And so that's the long game you're playing that if, if ever a suzerain player becomes president anywhere, they are going to be like a two to three percent better president. And that's how you're making the world <laughs> slightly better. I mean, I don't know if it's like the, the, the percentage that can be uh, quantified, but um, we had a lot of our community people who are like somewhat interested in politics say that if they ever become president, you know, they, they will do a better job thanks to the game. And it was funny how like whenever Boris Johnson was going through a lot of issues, like people were like mass tweeting like, oh, Boris Johnson didn't play suzerain. <laughs> so... You know, we, we're we're seeing we're seeing some funny references and comments, and uh, it is it is really hilarious to see how you know the both both things connect like real life and art and games. President Simulator, twenty twenty three. Something that 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 I was thinking about while listening to your points was so I assume that uh, your player base is 
in general, I think, politically interested. And then they are also gamers in the sense that they are close to the medium. They have played games before. So in that way, you are reaching an audience that maybe isn't like they are interested in politics, but, but maybe not super active in the real world. We are seeing that, let's say, for political parties in Germany, it's, it's very hard to reach youth uh, and they are losing members. Um, but then again, there's also politically active youth and people outside of the party system. Can you say, um, because I know that you gather uh, information legally <laughs> about your player base and you ask them a lot of questions because that's part of your development process. Do you have also the other way around of people that are very politically active but don't have that much of a like way towards games or are not familiar with the medium who have suzerain as like a first gaming experience or choose the game specifically because it is about politics uh, that's a good question so <clears throat> we see a couple of different things and honestly with a lot of information it's you know you're still biased because you, you only have so much of the information truth is really hard to figure out and I don't think we ever figure out what the truth is. We just we just get as many you know reference and knowledge points as possible. Um, but there are some trends we're seeing. There are some things we're seeing um, regarding data collection. We generally just ask surveys, ask uh, our community some survey questions. So we had a survey about the impact of Suzerain last year. Uh, we also sent that over with our Games for Change submission for that um, for that uh, award ceremony in the, into the social impact category. And we've, we saw that like about 70% of the ones who contributed to the survey, which is about 400 people, I think, 300 or 400 people, um, were somewhat interested in politics and 30% were very interested. A significant part uh, was coming from developing nations. Um, and the, the questions were quite interesting about Actually, we asked if they would want to be a political leader as well, or if they, you know, or if they're happy with their current political leadership. And it was really all across the board a bit mixed. So some um, in the West, from what we've gathered, was were very interested by the game because it showed like if the institutions and the systems were a bit worse, you know, how different the world would be for them. So it opened the mind for some developed nation uh, gamers. Or like, you know, people who enjoyed our game to kind of think like, oh, you know, this is what these other countries are going through. Mm -hmm. Or the ones who are developing, they really felt connected that this represents their country. And they said that some of them, I would say nearly 50-50, 50% like roughly says that, oh, you know, I would never want to get into politics. This is like absolutely hor horrible. Like this is so much pressure. This is like, it's insane. Like people finish Suzerain and they're like, I need a break. I need to go on holiday or something. So it's, it's very, it's a Dark Souls-esque political game. It's very, <laughs> so. You have died. Yeah, basically, you know, it's very rough. I think and that's why people say it's uh, maybe real politicians are don't play Suzerain because like it, you know, they, they're going with rookie mistakes, whereas like Suzerain players have to like figure the, the perfect paths out and stuff. Mm. Um, and the other percentage, the other 50% really, you know, engages with the, with the game and actually says, you know what, like, I think, you know, they would, they would be interested in, in actually political positions. 
but the difficulty is of course you know you know the reality is of course different but it gets people thinking um the other thing we've seen was that we thought that our audience was more mature because the game is super mature and then we found out actually a significant part of our audience is uh, between the ages of um, 16 and 30. so we have like a lot of uh, young uh, players um, we saw streams where like teenagers who had zero idea about politics try to play suzerain in like their uh, in like you know in their room with multiple like you know teenagers you know gathering and figuring stuff out, googling the political terms, like oh this means that, I don't think we want that, and like they were discussing. Mm, so wow! Like a lot of interesting stuff happen because it attracts different audiences. It has that very attractive like strategy esque look. It still has that strong, of course, like you know, dialogue component. So we attract like a bit of the visual novel crowd. We attract a bit of the strategy crowd. We attract like non-gamers because the subject and the theme is interesting and hasn't been uh, dived into this way. So it's a very different audiences coming together. But the mature people we have, like the ones that are like above you know, forty or thirty, and we have a few of them. They, some of them, are in really you know good positions of power in in the world. Like they are in governments. They are, you know, some of them are prime ministers. We even had like a, a connection with the Albanian prime minister, who you know their their cabinet played suzerain and stuff. So it's like we had like these things where part of the audience is like super well connected they are in real institutions they are in real government and stuff and they're actually commending the game like the um, the chief economist of the u.s state department uh, for example who's a suzerain player and stuff like that so like there's some weird like you know connections mm. <laughs> that we saw um so it was interesting because they were really excited real politicians are excited by how to condense all this complexity into something that still is engaging as a story, but still like respects the complexity of that political content. And they really enjoyed that and they really commended how well we simplify in a way where we don't like destroy the core argument. Um, mm. Other people really enjoy it because there, does, there doesn't exist, uh, there isn't any political experience that has like a story and an emotional aspect to it. Because a lot of the strategy games, they look at politics and society as a numbers game. So like, you know, oh, like if I, you know, balance these, these values, then I will have the perfect society outcome, which is so unrepresentative of reality. Like humans, we're very emotional beings. Like, you know, a lot of the time ego gets in the way of progress or resources or, you know, like complex power dynamics and relationships. It's not the numbers alone that is the blocker. It's mostly the people that are really? you know, like the and emotions. Yeah, and emotions. And this is also, I mean, we have to, you know, live with our emotions and we know we have to deal deal with them that's 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 the way to live but understanding that you know not everything is a pure resource problem and a lot of the games uh, don't recognize that um and they and we are one of the few that said okay you need to deal with people to mm -hmm. get to your, what you want in society what i was thinking about to to even go a little bit deeper on this is do you have any experience in this game being used in schools or, or in some kind of educational like setting? Because I, I think um, going, going on a limb here and bringing some personal opinion into it, there is not much, and, and I say this about Germany specifically, Although there are also people who would vehemently say something different, 
there isn't much consequence in Germany for voicing your political opinion. Mm. And uh, people have a political opinion that's quite natural because they 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 have a stance in life. They they have something like they have their life to deal with, and, and politics is heavily involved in that or influences that. And so, of course, it is it is natural to form political opinion, but it is hard to form informed political opinions, and. Um, we see that quite heavily in, in Germany through various protests, but this is not a, a specific German thing. But I think the way that is being dealt with in Germany is still very, very fair, very democratic. You are allowed to voice your opinion and anybody who says anything different, I would challenge their uh, view. But um, that also leads to a lot of like, unfiltered even like i would say crazy opinions that are constantly being like streamed out there in the way of like media of whatever type twitter x uh, live streams whatever so it constantly like it's hard to escape everybody's political opinion at this point um and now coming back to to the game i think uh, suzerain or games like this if they are like being used in a in a school setting or educational setting could really help making young people understand that like it's a complex topic it's not something easy where somebody has a quick solution for a problem and uh, and you know like that's the fix uh, i'm not going to give examples there are quite many out there they are mostly very unfriendly and insane so yeah uh, enough with the like intro to the topic what what do you think uh, have you any opinions about that i mean i think the that's the beauty of games right like you can uh, take something super complicated you can condense it and it has a weakness there as well but the primary strength that it has that nothing else really has that is that you can condense ultra complicated things give people agency have multi-perspective content which opens your mind in how you think about things and brings in different viewpoints in a very small experience. That's like a couple of hours long. And I think that's a power that society hasn't harnessed yet. And I, and I would go a step further, like, yeah, yes, there should be, uh, you know, experiences that people can play at school and discuss, um, understanding mm -hmm. it is a work of art created by a certain group of people without an agenda. And I think that's mm -hmm. the, clear thing like our agenda is to raise more questions and we're always open to feedback if you know the way we deliver it has a certain type of you know like insensitivity or maybe we missed an angle um until now we've been fine we covered hundreds of political topics and it's the way we cover it that works and the reason why i say like the i want to go further is that yes we could have a few games about politics at schools but then we could have a few games about other subjects yes anything we can and we can and want to learn at school or education or not even it doesn't have to be the youth as well any age any yes. person can ac access experiences of games and instead of like telling them this is how it is you know read my 50 page document mm -hmm. or you know watch this like linear you know documentary and documents are amazing but to really emotionally impact people you need to engage them in the entertainment so 
I foresee like in the future that games will be a societal tool to train the future generations and existing generations on how to deal with very complex subjects. And, you know, this is a power that needs to be harnessed worldwide, I think. We saw it, you know, happen with Suzer at some universities where it was covered, where, you know, media students played the game and discussed it with their teacher. And we were, I was invited and I held a talk mm-hmm. and other schools as well. Some teachers requested um, keys and they covered it with their high school students and everybody played the game and they disco- discussed the different political expressions inside the game and what it does to society and stuff. And this is exactly the stuff that excites us. I mean, our journey started looking out to society and seeing that games are super powerful. The world has entered a quite strong transformation age. And, you know, when we discussed Suzerain's concept, uh, Trump was getting into the White House. And we were like, okay, you know, the world is changing. These, um, these broken structures in our society are leading to massive change. And how can we reach the most people without corrupting ourselves? And that was like the decision behind founding a game and creating a studio that does multiples of these games, hopefully soon, um, and kind of have impact through media because we think that way we would be the least corrupted out of the experience because there is a problem with the existing political processes to make change. Mm-hmm. The barriers are not super low. The sacrifices are also high. I mean, I'm not saying people shouldn't do it. They should do it. We 100% support that. It's just that, you know, we need to tackle these subjects from very different angles. And we decided to pick the creation of games as the most ultimate, like direct way to yeah. uh, have impact on society. Yeah. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. One thing that I wanted to come back to is you mentioned, of course, and we were talking about it right now, all the impact that games have, and you specifically mentioned your company or how you understand it more like as an NGO. But of course, uh, you said you have 12 people, uh, you need to pay those people, you need to earn money with the craft that you've chosen. So I, I was very interested in how how you set it up like this, uh, because from our uh, conversations previously, I always like talking to you because I feel you have a very keen sense of business and understanding of the industry as well. And uh, it always is fun to bounce ideas with you and see where you're at because I'm not currently active in a studio. I'm trying to like work with many studios or many industry uh, participants. And it's always good to have the insights from somebody who's running a studio. So I always found that you are a very like shrewd business person and you have a plan. And so this is a, I don't want to say like that there's a, difference between what you just said and 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 what you do but uh i just wanted to make the point that i think you are very like aware of what you're doing and it's also a business decision and that impresses me even more because of course you are in a niche but you know specifically what you want i think and also have a bigger plan so how how did you like choose your your niche or your topics from a business perspective? Is there something that you can talk about? Yeah, I mean, that's, um, there are a lot of topics there and what you mentioned, um, definitely. So 
the interesting thing is, you know, I was involved in NGO work before. Yep. So I, I ran Magna Carta, which was um, an NGO that focused on the issues of the youth, but also did conducted research on the European Union issues, which mm -hmm. is like youth unemployment, uh, wealth inequality, religious freedom, you know, a right to bear arms, all these topics we researched across the European Union and partner countries. And it was a really fun experience. And, you know, I, I we... We allow people to travel who never had the funds to travel, thanks to EU funds and our efforts. Um, and we connected different cultures together. So, you know, I've had the NGO experience and mm -hmm. it was really enlightening. Um, and I was always interested in these types of topics. Um, when it came to, you know, ending that part of what I do and like starting a games company, um, I really thought that, you know, there are a lot of games that cover like country management. There are a lot of games that cover stories and just there are not enough games that does the mix that you know we ended up doing um and i thought from a business sense um the games market has grown has you know it's like a massive industry now one of the large it is the largest media uh, industry and um a lot of the innovation in games isn't necessarily now discovering a genre it's more about how do you mix what exists in a certain way and mm -hmm. do it in a high quality that hasn't been done before. So everything kind of lined up. So the the lineup was that I wanted to talk about politics and our, my team and I know my colleagues were also super excited about the subject. But that execution to execute the project, you need to be aware of your uh, strengths and weaknesses. And our strengths and weaknesses lined up perfectly in a way where we also ended up covering that different connection of genres with this specific theme. Mm -hmm. And I think that is why, like a, a, big, a big part of why, you know, it worked as a business case as well. Like Suzerain sold 170,000 copies. Um, for the niche game, it is, it is, this is a super high number. Um, yeah. our initial estimates were like, oh, we'll sell 15 K copies. That was like our initial estimate. And, you know, so there is a business case for this. Um, Suzanne was made with like, you know, very little resources. Like our initial investment was 125 K on the product. And we, we, our gross revenue is above 1.5 million right now. So it's. You can see that it's quite like there is demand and people are like really behind this idea that, you know, this medium can be experienced this way and the product is quality enough to, you know, uh, get to those expectations. Now, Suzerain is like our start. And now, you know, the DLCs and expanding the universe, growing an IP, tackling different political situations and circumstances with our DLC, it's the monarchy. With our upcoming DLC, we have a very different idea that is going to surprise people. You know, if we get there, I'll talk about it as well. Mm -hmm. um, and with our prequel, it's about completely changing the the product, which is currently we play a country manager and ruler, so it's more top down. And the people that we ac have access to and the systems we have access to are very privileged systems. So, like you know, you're in privileged circles. Um, with our new game, The Conformist, we want to simulate how society changes from the bottom up. So like how a citizen individually can make impact to change society. Um, it's set in the same universe 20 years before Suzerain in the same country and at the same capital. Um, and the reason why we want to do that is we want to tackle like this top down with Suzerain and bottom up with The Conformist and really showcase how society changes from all different angles. Um, and I think this has a strong business case because 
it is an RPG game with a semi sandbox approach. So it has much more, you know, appeal to mainstream. It's 3D. You can go around the town. You can talk to people. You have your quests. You have like quite good strategic elements to change the city. Um, has a strong art style that's inspired by 1930s propaganda posters and stuff. Okay. So like we want to build these two products like for the near term. And in the midterm, we want to support if we are successful, we want to support other studios making entertaining political games as well. And that's why, you know, I like the, the mention of fun earlier, you know, like for us, it's like, we rather use entertaining and entertaining doesn't have to be, you know, upbeat or like, you know, like melancholic or whatever. It's just like, you know, it's entertaining. And some, you know, Game of Thrones is also dramatically entertaining, for example, um, yep. something like that. That's kind of our angle. Um, there is a strong business case um, because there is demand, uh, you know, we, out of all the struggle, managed to get that audience to get that community. Our subreddit is getting a million views a month right now. Our community is like 10, 11K strong nearly now there. Our Discord is like 4,400 people discussing politics every single day, in-game politics. Um, and we see a lot of traction and speed. So yeah, people want this because honestly, they haven't gotten it. <laughs> and uh, there aren't many relevant titles that fill this gap. So we're just basically moving on to capture more of that market um, and you know, tell the stories you want to tell, give the experiences you want to give. And we don't want to think about genres as well, right? We want to have an experience and we want to pick the right tools to deliver that experience within our universe. So our approach is also very unusual in the games industry where you know you see a lot of you know, do you have this certain type of company that does like only a certain type of thing? Our thing is more the theme of politics and thought-provoking mm -hmm. entertainment. So we're very more dynamic and agnostic in how we deliver those experiences. Yeah, that's a that's a good strategy. I I mean, you've you've thought a lot about like creating your own universe, your own like uh, player experiences, and bringing everything together keeping people interested and engaged for new topics for new dlcs so i i really like your approach and i think it's like i mentioned it's a, it's a very thought through thought through business approach we're yeah. talking oh simon uh yeah yeah i, I have many questions philosophically about this because i've been listening intently of course and uh i'm very there are many things that um you know <laughs> is our music to my ears in, in your approach and I'm meeting you for the first time here. So um I'm I'm very oh, curious about yeah, very curious about many things. Like so just some examples that, that I'm noticing. I mean you, you said the word agnostic, you know, and so far in this conversation and also as far as it seems in the game, you also seem to be quite politically agnostic or pluralistic, you know, like um or or you know looking at, at everything a little bit, you know. And um, then you're also, uh, so that's kind of the horizontal agnosticism. And uh, now you introduced vertical agnosticism, top-down and um, bottom-up uh, game thing. So I think this is like, takes quite a bit of wisdom to approach anything really like this. Um, I think yeah, that, that's what pleases me because I, I feel very connected to this kind of approach. Uh, it's very um, holistic in a way. I guess I have a very broad question for you. Um, or I have like three questions for you, that, but, but that's a longer conversation that we can have now. 
Um, mm -hmm. Before I, I don't know how to structure them, so I'm just going to throw them out, and then we can see where we go in the conversation. But I guess um, one, the first question is, how did you develop this approach um, personally? Like, who are you so that you can think like that? Um, because it's quite unusual, I think. Um, Company-wise, I'm interested in how you managed to uh, bring this together with, like, bring this to other people that they were willing to take such an unusual approach with you. Also, you mentioned at the beginning, uh, ignoring all the common advice. I think that's also a very good sign, but it takes a lot of energy. Like, I think it's the correct thing to do in most cases if you have the energy and the and the let's say commitment or also the kind of chutzpah and the conviction that you know that kind of no no but we're doing a right thing and mm -hmm. yeah so you yeah you seem to me you've got a cool like very purposeful thing going on i'm i'm curious about you and how you what influenced you um uh, how you got here it's, <laughs> a, it's a, a pretty wide it, question yeah. yeah it's it's a wide question but i i like how it connects and you know we talked about you know how we operated, which is a bit more of the result of who we are, and I, I like that connection that you're and making. And your whole game—I uh, haven't played it. I'm now I'm, every minute, I'm getting more excited to play it. But it seems to be about characters, and I would not be surprised if, like, your um, company and like uh, and so on would also be kind of about characters and like you like mm. analyzing and using character traits quite well and stuff. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. I'm just very curious. Yeah, I mean, it's. Um, I mean, I'm thinking about like how the. The development progress from a personality perspective affects all this now and i think so like a couple of things that are interesting about me is like i'm a dual national so um i i was born and raised in a family that spoke three languages from birth that's how you know even as a child i could speak english german and turkish at the same time um my dad was german my mom is turkish and i lived like most of my life in turkey actually um mm -hmm. and this whole aspect was like, I think a key tenet of who I am because, um, my dad spoke German with me. My mom spoke Turkish with me and they spoke English between each other. And ah. automatically, you know, I had this very different multilateral like thing going on of like communication and connection. Um, so there's not only cultures clashing, of course, through culture, language, um, philosophies as well, like my father is a very thoughtful person, very philosophical person. Um, it's interesting, his background is pretty vibrant. Um, his, um, you know, he was born 1941 in the city of Breslau, actually. Mm. And the in, during the war times, uh, the family fled west. So he went through that arduous journey of the, the destruction of the war, you know, suffering from the things that he, this person had no relation to because of decisions of others and the circumstances and having a really p poor childhood, you know, destroyed Germany in the late forties and early fifties, um, trying to feed the family and all those struggles, you know, that these, the, the people of that generation had, uh, to endure and coming out of it as like a really, you know, strong socialist actually in the West. Um, and even dabbling with some of the, um, illegal organizations in the West that had like communist ties, but then also being betrayed in those organizations and seeing some of the wrongdoings inside of the political spheres and leaving them and actually starting his own business 
and then becoming like a big one of the largest audio hi-fi studios in Germany uh, in the top 10 um, and then moving to an early retirement at, at the age of 45 uh, trying to pick a country to retire and then picking uh, out of France and uh, Turkey picking Turkey meeting my mom um, and then kind of having that like you know starting a family there so kind of like wanted to leave Germany um, because of his um, disdain of the very people that existed in politics that had connections to, um, you know, the Second World War Nazi government. Um, he, because his position as a um, as a hi-fi studio owner, he had this thing of like dealing with very privileged people. And a lot of the privileged people in the 70s and 60s that survived the war have somehow some connection to some shady people that survived the war under the previous system. So he was very disillusioned, actually. This, these, these discussions were super interesting for me because I was like, oh, you know, here's a person who's trying to escape from Germany in like the 80s and 90s because he cannot take society anymore of how, you know, this, how it is, which was a very unique perspective. And I knew that was not, you know, the only perspective, but I thought it was like an edge case. And I thought that was quite mm -hmm. interesting to hear his opinion. Um, and then in Turkey, whenever, you know, Turkey was going through its, and still is going through its transformation period of from a from a you know averagely solid democracy to an autocracy that is democratic um and going through that phase and like seeing all the people around me in turkey wanting to go to germany for freedom like for you know living a life and being you know well off and like experiencing democracy and like you know all these things and they I, have I, some plurality eh? some very yeah. different approaches oh my exactly and it was fascinating oh. because i was sitting there and like my dad on one side my friends on the other side and my dad be like yeah it's not that bad here and i'm like yeah dad you haven't been in the 2013 gizzi protest have you because i have been there um and it was really brutal um of course there are more brutal countries there's always you know the world is a big place um but from this singular human perspective i saw these perspectives and thoughts clash uh, because of my environment and so part of being multicultural and being um raised multiculturally and it leads you to multi-perspective thinking because you constantly exist in a world where different perspectives and ideas clash and especially if you have this diversity between, okay, Turkey has um, some Western values due to its, you know, republic and its history, but it still has that strong influence of the East and, you know, the culture of is like uh, Islam in general uh, is present. So it still is different right? when we compare it for something that, you know, I got from the German side of my family and relatives and and, you know, these sides got together and the German Turkish family gatherings were amazing because, you know, the, the, it was such interesting communication going on um, and somehow trying to find the middle um, and people like kind of like, I don't know, even those who couldn't speak each other's languages, like um, my grandma on the Turkish side trying to talk to my grandma on the German side, but mm. none of them could speak the same language. So they were like communicating in smiles and, and like, you know, hand gestures and, and stuff mm. like that. So like it's, I've experienced this like different um, perspective, being between different perspectives. So I think that's a, an important factor. Yeah, um, I, I can jump in there quickly yeah. uh, be, because I think it's so fascinating and I, I, I'm having goosebumps while you're, while you're telling your story because I think being born in the middle is how I would sum it up uh, into the middle, you know, is also with the, with the trifecta of languages, I think makes it, makes it very clear. And I think we're going to see a lot more um, of that. I mean, 
if I'm thinking about Berlin and uh, people dating here, often in between languages, um, and uh, or across languages with, with English as as the connector, and um, very interesting that your dad was born in '41. Um, my grandpa was born in '42, and um, uh, my uh, my on my mother's side, and they. Um, they were Transylvanian Saxons, and so they they also had to the, the flee the the flight from the from the German flight from east to west. Uh, I also experience as a in my family and as a feeling in my in my being, right? Because yeah. it's it's part of me, and so um, I, I I very much relate to that. And I yeah, it's always a pleasure to speak to somebody with a similar internal experience. Um, it's not the same, but you know i'm like a german stranger in germany or something it's it's a very strange feeling you know it's, i'm not quite off of it and i'm also not quite of anything else so i'm only off the middle you know i'm only yeah. off the in between and it's uh it's a funny place to be but that's why i'm so curious because i relate a, a, a lot to it and it um it brings a lot of <laughs> certainly a lot of suffering i would say it's very confusing when it comes to belonging but um, I think now in my early 30s and stuff, it, it actually brings like unbelievable advantages and wisdom. So I'm, yeah. I, I feel quite blessed these days. And um, that yeah. sounds like a really, you know, uh, like impactful perspective as well, because like, you know, I agree with this identity of being in the middle, not being of something, but being having that part in you. Um, there are, you know, advantages and disadvantages to all those types of identities and experiences. Mm. I think uh, people who are in the middle are just more prone to see things from the outside because they are in that certain, you know, when diagram of, it, of observer of multiple um, like right. inflection points. And, um, you know, there's a wider debate that we can go about human society. I mean, in, in, but like that would open up a big subject, but I would still touch up a bit on, on that, that, you know, like civilization and the settlement is something that occurred, you know, at a certain point in human history. And there are like records of how people socially and politically behaved when they weren't settled, that they were just moving from one place to the other. And I think, you know, I'm not a professional in this, I'm not an anthropologist or something, but, you know, automatically one of the thoughts that comes to my mind is if you don't have a permanent home and you're moving from one place to the other, from one lake to another river, to another forest, and you just keep on going, I think it just wires your brain differently about how to think about the world. I think settling and civilization and, you know, borders and, you know, these, these constraints and then conflicts of borders, you know, are very connected because people settle in a place, they own that resource and territory and they have to protect it. Whereas like, you know, if you freely move from one place to the other and just, you know, use whatever resources are available, and, you know, the world has a lot of resources. Hmm. There are like other things not to worry about that we have to worry about today because we live in a world where, you know, the sense of country and the, and the identity of state in politics and human minds, as well as, of course, capitalism right now are very dominant. And we quickly forget, and this is why I love history, is that when you look back, it's very different perspective, very different values, very different symbols of human nature. And that's why I love, you know, uh, breaking those existing knowledge points and be like, okay, how was it, you know, 10,000 years ago? 
and how did people like, you know, act and behave? So yeah, there are a lot of these things and, you know, that's a, uh, it's a very interesting, uh, discussion point, that one. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. So thank you for, for sharing this part of your story. I was very curious about it and, um, resonated a lot with it. And I think it answers to a good degree the who are you that you're doing this uh, question. Um, of course, I, I'm sure there are many more conversations to be had, um, which makes me curious about, well, it's a rare perspective, right? So how did your um, process of like founding a studio or deciding to make this game in particular, I don't know what, what, what came first for you exactly, but maybe you could tell us a bit more about um, how you, how you work as a studio, how you work as a team, how you work with your co-founders, and how you made a decision to make well to take such a complex game. I I think this middle is so complexly like suspended, you know, in between like like a ball held by multiple strings in the in the middle of a room or something. It's a balancing act, very much so. And um, well, I'm always curious how how to let's say, recruit to such a case, the case for no case, the case for philosophy, the case for the middle. Yeah, that I would be very curious about that. You know, uh, gathering and like starting the idea and gathering the people are like one of the key challenges of anything. You know, after graduating from uni and working on a couple of the game projects, I was in a period of like figuring out what I want to do. And uh, I've done some translations at that point, um, which I enjoyed and they brought in good money. Um, and one of the things I liked about translation was that you get to learn a lot about different industries that you will never work in because, you know, one lifetime is short and you can never you know, work in a hundred industries. But in translation, it really allowed me to learn a lot of different things, which I enjoyed. But I felt like there wasn't like, you know, the, the spark that I needed in that industry. I was also very lucky to have been invited by um, that opportunity I had to reject to be invited by the translator of Erdogan um, to be um, an intern and then also kind of um, help them out in, the, in those translations of um, Miracle Erdogan and Davutoglu back at the time in Turkey. Wow. Um, and I rejected that of, because of my dream to make games because I had figured at that point that, you know, that is not the life for me. Um, the life of creation is something that I wanted to be a part of. And I'd worked on multiple game projects before. So it was really good to learn from others in other projects. But it was time for me to be like, all right, I want to do my own thing. And I want to get a group of people who see that and they want to also put their own thing in this common objective. Um, and of course, you know, the whole thing with the NGO, the events I worked on with Creative Coffee and TEDx, um, that gave me that event, uh, and like organizational management skill. Um, and the translations gave me that communication skill. Um, the game projects I inv got involved in, you know, gave me the very basics of game development. So a lot of these different things fell in place. And I thought games would be the industry where I connect all of the experiences I had. And yeah, you think that, but like, how do you get it to it? Right? Like a lot of people have ideas. Ideas are like a, like abundant in society, and a lot of, we have a lot of great ideas that vanish as well. So for for me, the difficulty is like, how do I get something? The idea though um, also came really weird, as in 
I was thinking about what to build and it really hit me that this complexity of having an emotional story about politics with actual um, deep um, perspectives and role-playing involved didn't happen before. But I thought that, you know, I was saying this to myself and, you know, we all talk, you know, in our brain, we have that inner monologue maybe sometimes where like we're saying, we're thinking things, but without validation, none of the things really become real. So it's when you talk to others or write it down and share when things change. Mm. So I immediately reached out to one of my closest friends, Ilke, who was studying at the Cologne Game Lab at the time. And I'm like, okay, I have this idea. It's this type of a game. It's this, this, this way. We have, we have, I have this capacity. You have this capacity. If we cover our weaknesses and like focus on this part, I think we can maybe make it like, tell me, am I crazy? Or like, what do you think? <laughs> and he was like, actually, this could work. And then we started like suddenly concepting. And then we got another friend in. We said, hey, we have this idea. We should build something. It would be interesting. Worst case scenario, we made a small project. Uh, best case scenario, we'll see what happens. Um, so step by step, this grew because then there was movement. There was output. It was part-time at the time. But each step of the way, people started giving to this idea. And I think because there were no financial resources and it was just like this hobby project, um, but the theme and the meaning was interesting mm -hmm. that people actually devoted themselves to it because there was not an expectation of monetary gain. It was more about expression. Um, and step by step, we suddenly you know, saw that, you know, an old composer friend of mine joined James and then Ipek joined as the character artist. Um, and then suddenly, you know, Usgin joined as the technical like programmer. And like, we, we had a small team mm. and from that point on, it started getting serious. Um, it's like, how do we produce this? How do we sell this? Like, what are the steps? Like it's getting real, like it's becoming something. Um, and then the entire process of how do you deal with limited resources? to make something work, to eventually get the resources you need to finish it at high quality. So that aspect was incredibly difficult. Like um, a lot of talking to people, a lot of, you know, communicating the goals, the, the wishes, understanding that, you know, people have a job, they maybe might not have a time to do something some week. Um, and then vying for those resources. And, you know, we got our publisher investment from fellow traveler, which also is a crazy story because, you know, I basically um, moved from uh, Turkey to Germany in 2018 with the dream of making this a reality. And I took a list of 20 or so publishers and we eliminated like, and we found the best ones. And actually Fellow Traveler was our number one pick on the list in 2018. And literally like, you know, six months later after making that list, I'm on a plane two weeks before my Turkish military draft is going to call me for like a 12 month service. I get on the, uh, it's, sorry, one week before, not even two weeks, one week before I get on the plane and I just like leave with basically no money. Like I had so, so little, so few resources. I find a new, quick job uh, working at um, Arvato, which does like content moderation for Facebook which was one of the most difficult jobs, I think, mentally that, uh, that I've ever heard of. Uh, I didn't experience that many jobs, but it's very difficult to work there. I kind of like used that to buy time. 
and end of the year, um, the GDC lottery uh, invite came in and we still couldn't talk to the publishers back then. The whole email pitching wasn't as popular as, as it is post COVID. Um, so it was hard to find emails even. Um, and I'd reached out to some, some people, but I never got an answer and everybody told me you have to go to GDC or you have to go to Gamescom. You have to go to these like events. So I'm like, all right, I mean, GDC sounds great. And fellow travelers said they'll be there, but like, how do I get there? Because like my bank account doesn't like really smile my way regarding the finances. <laughs> um, so like, how do I do this? Like I have a couple of K, um, and you know, like GDC is going to cost me two or three. And then I have none, I have nothing left, you know, and, and the money I earn is barely like making me get by. Um, so I applied to the GDC lottery. Um, and it does a tick the tickets were worth like so much and I got the ticket for free. I was one of the very few people that won the lottery. And I was like, you know what, this is the sign. This is like, I, I have to take this now. And the costs have dropped and, um, a person actually helped me with a few of the additional costs because they believed in my vision and the project. Um, and I'm like, all right, I'm going. And at GDC, I met uh, Chris Wright from Fellow Traveler, the managing director, and I pitched them the crazy idea. Um, and, you know, 19 of the other publishers and investors had said, if you make a political game, you will get like 20 to 30% steam rating because people will fight over politics and they will say, oh, this is that way, that is this way. Um, the developers are biased or like, you know, this is all, you know, wrong or whatever. And they said like, that's why they won't fund it. Um, a lot of them said that a significant part said like, you know, this type of entertainment won't work with this much text because it's expensive to localize. I mean, it is, um, but also that, um, people want a strategy game. They don't want, you know, all the dialogues here. Um, my fellow traveler out of all of them was like the only one that really understood like what we we're trying to do and saw the true passion I had when pitching the project and they decided to sign with us. Um, and, <laughs> and after that point, I really started saying, okay, all the people who worked on the project will get some parts of the funds as like a compensation. Of course, we didn't have unlimited resources, so we didn't, we couldn't fully compensate everyone, including myself. Um, but you know, we gave a token of the, the appreciation of the work that was done, that was enough um, for everyone. Um, and then we started to professionalize and you know get salaries going, get the company fully founded and going and everything. So when Ju in July when we signed the contract in 2019, um, I had and you know I, I talk about this publicly. It's nothing I'm ashamed of, but I had a th minus like two thousand or so in the bank account. Mm -hmm. So I was like in debt when we, when the, when the signature came in from the investment for the product, the 125, uh, hundred uh, back then it was like 80 K, which then increased 125 K. Um, but yeah, so I, I was in a very bad position and I, and, and when it came, it was like crazy. It was, I couldn't believe it. I was like, okay, I rolled like the greatest die of my life. And like, you know, it worked out for a bit more. Let's see what happens next. Um, so yeah, so that's the amazing experience and crazy experience of, um, going through those roller coasters, going through those difficulties. Um, and you know, when you look back, it's the people that were there for you that, you know, are the real heroes, honestly. And, and, you know, my mom and my dad always supported me, but also our angel, uh, Duny was always there. Um, you know, because when you talk about something that doesn't exist yet, um, with the vision of what it could be, 
you really sound a bit crazy, honestly. And I think a lot of the people pitching big visions and ideas are a bit wild because, you know, it doesn't exist for it to happen. There needs to be all these other things happening. And the people who see it that early and believe in it, I think, are, are the people that really deserve recognition. Nice. People, people who use the correct singular form of dice are my friends. <laughs> so I wish you all the best from here on out because <laughs> <laughs> English, your English grammatics is great. Nice story. Crazy. Amazing story, Atta. It's very inspiring. It shows so much belief in yourself and your ideas, but also specifically shows how other people need to believe in you as well and how a community and friends and supporters really, really matter for such an undertaking. Like it's, it's, uh, yeah, I think people who, who bring that much into their craft and into their projects, into their work, really deserve the best and of course the world is a sometimes harsh place as you know so there are no guarantees but uh, if if i can wish it to somebody i think that's definitely you are one of those people oh thank you so much florian um you know it's uh, i it's it's very complex and this is why i admire you know any art in, in a different way because like, you know, the odds are stacked against you and you need a lot of energy. You need the right people, the right time. A lot of things need to really click. That's why whenever I see, you know, any type of art or any project that people embarked on, I really enter everything with such a high respect. It could even be something that I don't personally find um, engaging or enjoying due to my personal preference of entertainment. I still like, you know, I respect that because the amount of effort and energy that are behind those works is quite admirable. Um, and, you know, people don't do these things to have a monetary gain either. It's a pure expression form. Um, it's really important to balance the, the business side to make things work still. And I think that's the, that's the challenge a lot of um, artists and creative space. And due to my experiences in organization and event management, I always was a bit more acute in those things. And so that's why how we came to circumvent a lot of the potential pitfalls of having a startup and making such a complicated game. But of course, it's also the, you know, the relentless energy and effort. Um, you know, my co-founders, Dilkin Özgün, are also my high school friends. And they, yeah, man, that's crazy. That's so know, cool. And they've left the, the, their lives. And, you know, Özgün was working at Avanade, um, like Microsoft's larger consultancy, software consultancy company and left a very top position, like a lead position in that corporation to come to Berlin and, you know, just focus on this and make sure this, you know, keeps going. And, and, you know, Ilke as well, I, after graduating just said, you know, like, let's do this. Um, and, you know, part of it, of course, like, you know, I, I maybe am a good pitcher and presenter. I don't know that could, that I think has an impact probably. Um, But the other part of it is like, you know, the message is bigger than me. And I think I always, I always wanted to work and do things that are bigger than me. And, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't want to be corrupted or engulfed by um, this egocentric human approach of, of, um, of power. And, and I wanted to collectively fight for something. 
Um, and that's why we also want to make a business case because in our society that is heavily business driven and capital driven, we need to also make a financial case for this. Mm -hmm. So not only do we need to make a social case, we also need to show that this can make amazing money. And, um, so it's like a challenge on all fronts, but I think by doing that, we have like the chance to really, uh, push the boundary and push the limits and really become like one of those things in the world where like, okay, political games, torpor games, and it's this few amazing people that, you know, are going wild <laughs> with these ideas. Hey, I have one uh, important question. Um, I think it's going to be my last one, uh, but it's um, uh, for, uh, in the regular conversation, but you said corrupted a few times now. I want to know what it means to you because I think it's important. Um, power is a difficult topic. Um, but yeah, you said it. So, uh, what, what does it mean for you? What are you trying to avoid when you're talking about corruption? It's, I mean, it's the human topic I feel right. I like, so. um, we, we are people of circumstance and whenever I really thought about, you know, the journey of my life and every next decision I, I, I want to take or do, and you know, life still surprises you, you can plan all you want. Um, but it's like, in what circumstances can I find myself in, in which I will change to a degree that I won't like? And I think that's the key question for me is that I don't want to find myself in a position where the position is pushing me to lose my values. And as a managing director of a corporation, I do have to make decisions sometimes for like, you know, the operations and the greater good of sustaining something which you know in a world where the money would go to the right places and you know and many times it does but a lot of times it doesn't i wouldn't need to be pushed to these situations but these are reasonable occasions like you know like um so it's 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 kind of like an adequate and acceptable human condition of yeah we might not have the fun like finances for you know x project or x feature so we won't be able to have this many people that we want to have, for example, there's like a very okay and understandable thing that everybody agrees with. The things get really complicated when you have, like, you're in charge of a ma like much larger operation with larger stakeholders, and you really start become becoming this like being of circumstance. And that is why also like in our games we talk about corruption a lot. Um, because we want people to go through those experiences where being corrupt sounds nice in that moment because you gain something. And this is exactly how corruption works because like by avoiding or not imposing rules or not doing what you should do, you get a personal benefit. And I think those types of like occurrences and things are, are circumstantial. You know, it's very easy to not be corrupt in, in, in Germany, but is it really easy to not be corrupt in a country where, you know, poverty and hunger is a big thing and you have mm -hmm. something that you can do to, you know, feed your family? Like, you know, like all, like it's, we are beings of circumstance. And I, and I, you know, and I think that's the key learning for me in life is that as much as possible, be, being aware of what circumstances you're going to fall in. If you have that ability to control the circumstances, you know, many times you don't, to be fair, life throws things at you and you suddenly find yourself somewhere. But, um, but I thought about this and that's why I didn't want to join the political journey, at least at this part of my life, um, to, because I knew like the very system 
would change me to such a degree. Whereas if I do art, I can still represent that, but in many multi perspectives and like really open up the, the discussion. So, you know, that's, that's what was my way of um, strategizing out of it, out of that circumstance. Thank you. Great explanation. So we, we heard that it's only currently not an option to be uh -huh. in the political path. So I, I can see <laughs> a great, a great future still ahead other for president. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think, uh, you know, we have a lot more to do, uh, yes. before, before. <laughs> but, but, you but know, the good thing is that you played suzerain, so you can, uh, you can be like two, 3% better. If exactly. you're president. Yeah. I think, I think the people who played it are still better off than the people who made it because the energy we spent on that project, <laughs> I think cost a, cost a few years of, of our soul lives, at least. <laughs> Or gave you, I mean, the good, good energy spent uh, gets extra energy back. So who knows, True. who knows, who knows? True. I think, yeah, I think what we give to the world it really does the, have impact on what we receive from the world. So uh, th there, there is, a, there's definitely a, a, an aspect there. Um, and you, you know, like the whole political thing is interesting because in our universe, we are adding these like ideological variants of reality. So like our ideologies of like communism is called millennialism and has much more of a, like a certain way of, um, worker decentralization. And it's like a variant of communism that doesn't really, wasn't fully implemented in our universe. So. Uh, we have like very different takes, like the capitalism in our universe is also divergent. It's much more libertarian, for example. So what we try to do is we want to really bring people out of the box thinking that they are in, which is like, how can the world be different? Because we feel like there are a lack of new ideas of how, to, how society should be run and governed mm -hmm. um, because we are like in this box of very few ideas now. And yes, it's really locking our imagination down. We, we have a hard time. R&Ding our society. We're R&Ding <laughs> everything else, but for some reason, the very thing that we all depend on, we're not R&Ding. And I think that aspect, we in our universe, that's why we're adding these different nations with very different political systems and trying to like really make people think outside of the box. That's a key thing for us as well. Um, because yeah, the age old debate of, you know, in the last 200, 150, 140 years about like, oh, communism and, you know, nationalism and this and that, like, Yes, you know, we have that in the game, but like, you know, we have it because it's understandable as concepts. So people can actually, you know, have some meaning and, re and relevancy to it. But that was the reason why we created a fictional place is that we really want to bring people out of their comfort zone of, of the understanding of their world. Um, yeah. And it's quite a challenge, um, to do that stuff. Um, but you know, uh, I think it's working well. So. One thing you mentioned there about the multi perspectives and uh, like putting yourself in that, like in that position of understanding different viewpoints is something that I, that I really think is, is valuable and necessary for people to do more. And actually something that it, it's funny because when we talk, we don't talk too much about politics usually more about business and games and that kind of stuff because like when we have the time then those are usually like pressing stuff that's on my mind that's why i <laughs> start talking but the, the, there's not uh, I, i think we should also uh, find some time to talk about politics more but what i what i want to say is that 
I generally don't really like talking about politics to anybody anymore, just mm. because I feel like, um, well, it's a, it's like a minefield and on the one side and on the other side, it's just based on like two or three points that a person makes, mm -hmm. even if it's on Twitter or if it's like on, on a, when you hear them talking about specific topics, it's very easy to go down a road where you can see, oh, if that person thinks this about that topic, then their perspective on that and that topic will be exactly this because people, like you said, are in this kind of boxed thing. Like I, I don't quite understand and I don't want to like open up a huge topic because of time reasons, but like something that I ask myself quite often is why people in Europe or in Germany specifically fall into this like such narrow categories now where to me it was always a strength of our system that there are multiple parties and many more different like options to choose from that are like more nuanced than just having a two-party system but for some reason we are forcing ourselves now to start thinking even like more narrow so you can always have like one or two options and uh yeah i think it's good that First of all, you have it in your game, but then also, of course, the people that are behind the game need to think about the world in that kind of way. Um, yeah, I think the it's a you know it's a situation of circumstance in the world. I mean, you know, we are very small parts of a very complicated societal structure. When you know, when you remove the nature part and just like look look at human society from a political science perspective, and I think the one of the things that why our game is also in its Cold War esque. Um, universe is because it represents a a bipolar world, and we, you know, and we're trying to like actually increase the the polarity of our universe even further because, like in the Cold War era, you know, there were a lot of proxy, you know, wars, and there were there was a lot of upheaval. There was a lot of lot of issues for that period for sure, but at least there was a different convergence of ideas and very different variants of how to run society. Um, and some of it was, of course, violent. Some of it was less violent. Um, but there was a diversity of thought um, that had happened post-World War II. Um, and I think we've lost that because, I mean, your world has become unipolar um, for the most. And now we're seeing a transition period where different, I think, nearly continental power blocks are forming. Um, and, but the ideological sense, uh, from that perspective, actually, it's still a single ideology with small variants instead of multiple ideologies with multiple variants in the Cold War. And I think that is having that effect where all of us are thinking purely from that perspective, because, you know, the large system, uh, um, competitor like China imposes capitalism in a different way. Yep. It's state capitalism and, you know, and that aspect of, you know, having a single party structure that, you know, focused on efficiency and control, it still runs on capital ideas. And so it's not a different system. It's just the same system imposed in a different way. Just and better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, it's, you know, that's for some, I think it is there. Yeah. Uh, they would think like that. And this is the interesting thing about multi-perspective thought, you know, there are some people who would support any system and, it's just, you know, circumstance does that. And I think that's why the interesting thing is to, if you want to have a world where different ideas converge, like media is a very powerful tool to ra raise ideas. Like, and I think that's what we try to achieve. But also we need like, you know, the 
thousands of universities that exist on this earth uh, to, I think, really think differently about society, to really think outside of the box, because universities are the places where new thinking and different thinking are, are fostered and, and mm -hmm. exist. And I think they should lead a lot of the charge on what does tomorrow's society look like instead of keeping analyzing what the past society looked like or mm -hmm. the existing one looks like. Um, and, you know, there, this, this is a huge subject, it's a world subject. So I think yes. you know, it's like a podcast of its own. Yes. But I'm really interested in, in this because um, the existing system also has its flaws, right? Yeah. And any system does. Uh, and I think, the, I think it's also important that people see their potential to own and change the system as well. And if there are no other ideas of, of, of the, you know, and if, if people are like disconnected from politics, if you, as you've said, they cannot talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, that really makes it even more rigid. There's less flexibility now. There is less desire to own your circumstance because, you know, I just want to get by. I just want to have my life and this and that because every time I talk about it, it can create a negative atmosphere and stuff. Yeah. But like, what, like the, the very uh, problem of individualism, I think, in society we face now is that it disconnects us from each other. Mm. And I think the discussion of politics is also that. It disconnects the understanding of another perspective because people's political opinions form through those experiences that they had in life and the people around them and the circumstances they were in. And we need to understand that as a society. You know, we, and currently in Germany, and this is a big topic as well, what we're seeing recently um, is like, a lack of understanding and a lack of problem solving yeah. regarding our values. Um, and the system can't take care of the people. And then in a democratic system, people can then take power to then, you know, change the resources of the system in to their benefit. And yeah. we need to really analyze these things. And I think games are amazing tools to, uh, to do all of this. <laughs> <laughs> Simon might kill me now, but now now we ha we have to come to an end. But I have like a, a super like curveball question now, and I hope there is like a not super long answer before we get to our final like essential yeah. questions. I'll try to keep it short. Like when we talk, it's often so like in depth and it's so serious topics that one question that has been on my mind throughout the whole podcast is what does Ata do for fun. <laughs> We're, we are in the entertainment business and the making of there is no fun here. It's just making entertainment. Yes. <laughs> Perfect answer. That's what I wanted to hear. Uh, <laughs> I mean, um, you know, what, what do I do for fun? I like traveling. Mm -hmm. I like going to historical places that interest me. I've been to um, Genoa um, recently. To, um, because I love the, the Merchant Republic history. So I went through like all the historical spots there, Florence and stuff. So I really love like doing those trips. The year before I went to Granada, uh, Malaga and uh, Cordoba in Southern Spain, um, and explored like the convergence of Arabic, um, and I mean, sorry, Islamic and Christian culture specifically in, in that context. Um, and I thought it was fascinating to see the convergence there and what remains, of course, of that. Yeah. So in my fun time, I love to travel and discover pieces of history that interested me as a child and also as an adult. Um, other than that, you know, I do have the the amazing pleasures of Berlin around me of, you know, good, good nightlife, good clubs um, mm -hmm. and uh, good people, a lot of artists who 
you know, just know how to enjoy life. Um, I sometimes tend to overfocus on my mission and like, you know, my reason of being in this mm-hmm. role. So it's really good to be around people who also in Berlin, you know, enjoy the city and I'm just like get drawn into them and like, you know, just follow. And then suddenly I'm in some fun environments and art galleries or on a boat, you know, down the canal mm-hmm. or, you know, in a club. So it's, it's really nice to be in this vibrant atmosphere. And yeah, uh, I do play games still. I play um, Paradox games still. I, I love Crusader Kings 3. I love tactical shooters, which, you know, I worked on squad a bit. And that's a tactical shooter with a lot of teamwork and communication. Um, I enjoy that game uh, because of the objective-driven teamwork aspect it provides. And I think, you know, that and also the big story games, like stuff like The Witcher 3, you know, or, yeah. you know, like I love the Fallout series as well. Um, all the RPG games that have a lot of story, but expression um, as well. So yeah, those are some of the things that I do. I try to do for fun. Nice. Very nice. Very nice indeed. And uh, very good segues into our final set of questions. <laughs> Maybe this uh, this reappears in there. Also, I want to say at this point for the record, many conversations we could have had, uh, but haven't had due to time about yes. community, about um, games itself, <laughs> themselves modding and uh, many things in your history maybe another time uh, for now i would invite you to a wonderful game of essential questions mm-hmm. uh, we can do it uh, kind of quick fire you're invited to that if you are compelled for long answers then it's your freedom um, it always starts with the very simple and trivial question of one what is the purpose of your being Oh, that's a that's a heavy one to short fire on. Um, <laughs> the, um, that's a that's a very interesting one. You know, like I really, well, I'm I'm really inter- interested by the idea that um, deciding what to do is deciding what not to do. I think that's like a, such a fundamental aspect of choosing what we do um, because we eliminate all the other things that could be without. Mm. So for me, I think going through events, going through translation, going through localization, and going through all these other things and other game studios developments, it's, you know, and then like landing on the spot of like, yeah, I choose not to do do those. I choose to create entertainment that makes people think and reflect and have empathy. And I think that's, that's my reason of being for now. Um, I have some other cool side ideas as well, but as I've said, you know, that focus and then the idea of like, okay, if you have a focus, you let everything else by the side as much as possible. But within that focus, I really am a big believer of ecosystems and creating a better world than the one you have. And so you're leaving behind a better world. And I think that's why I also believe in like giving back to the, to a community and giving back to an ecosystem and um, providing just like, you know, what I didn't have. Because in our startup and especially game startup journey, we had a lot more difficulties. We had more lack of information, less opportunity to get mentorships, um, less funding opportunities. Um, so I try to like, you know, make sure that I transfer as much knowledge as possible or help as much as I can. You know, over the years I've helped like dozens of studios without charge even with their funding applications and 
publisher picks or investor picks. So I do believe that, yes, I am doing something, but I still need to be valuable to my community and society. And it's just something that comes from within me as well. Uh, it's just, yeah, I feel it and I just do it. Thank you. What inspires you? What inspires me? This is, a, this is also a really interesting one. I think the, the world changing drastically and getting out of hand in some aspects inspires me a lot because I can see at least, even if it's small, the little bit of impact I can have in that. And I think to kind of change that in another way. Um, so I'm inspired to help society, I would say, in a way where without any, you know, like without any, without dictating what society should be, but more about reflecting back onto it. I think that's, that's the thing that inspires me, um, to, to do what I do. Um, because I think it is urgent. Um, yeah. What is a beautiful day to you? Uh, in Berlin, I mean, a beautiful day is kind of like, you know, sunshine and people out in the street, just being free and happy and, you know, enjoying, enjoying a beer by the canal, talking to people about life. And I think it's really a spe specific, special feeling I have here. I do miss the sea sometimes, but, but the, the canals here are doing the trick. So it's kind of like a, a good compensation method, but yeah, it's the simple pleasure of enjoying the, the nice weather, the nice people in the city and the beer. Yeah. I agree. The... I agree. Um, what is the change you want to see in the world? There are, there are a lot of things I want to see in the world, but they're not realistic. So I think I want people to be more thoughtful, more compassionate, definitely. And like have empathy. I think empathy is the key word for the century. And I think key words for our societies, um, because without empathy, we won't find a way forward. We will keep clashing against each other in different social groups. And um, yeah, I think we need to have empathy to understand and then have the will to fix societal broken structures um, to create a better world. Um, yeah, and I think that's, that's the key thing I want. We talked at length about this today already, I think, but uh, for the record, how do you contribute yeah, to the change you want to see in the world? That's always an important question. Um, you know, also like one of the reasons why I enjoy helping other studios and mentoring and um, working on projects with the, with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs here in, in Germany as well is like a lot of the studios coming out of, from Berlin have something to say. And I think that's so unique to Berlin and especially I think also the German ecosystem of games where I hear like so many young talents, you know, they want to, some of them, of course, want to make purely entertaining products and it's amazing. I 100% support them too. But I see a trend of like studios wanting to talk about climate change or wanting to talk about inequality or wanting to talk about, you know, the inefficiencies of um, capitalism and, and um, you know, obsolete uh, production structures and stuff like that. So I really enjoy helping everyone, but I, 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 I hope that, you know, some of my help translates into these studios, having something to say, become real, um, because I believe in the impact they will have on society as well. Awesome. 
Here's a question. If you would start a new save game in your life right now, what occupation would your new character have? This is a very interesting one. Um, I think, I mean, there are a lot of things that, that I'm interested in. But if I would like have a completely new life plus, I mean, plus means more difficult. I just like new life than no, no plus. <laughs> but um, the, uh, I, would, I would definitely do something regarding space. Um, I'm really interested in the space um, industry and space itself. So if I would start a new, I would create like a startup or a company related to the space industry, specifically a simulation company, and try to figure out how to um, how to like ex help the maintenance and sustainability of human operations in space regarding logistics um, and first aid and like all the infrastructure human infrastructure related subjects. I think that's one thing that really is in the, at the back of my mind as a passion. Uh, so I would go that way, but also I'm personally fascinated by space itself. Awesome. Yeah. Life is long. Many lives can be lived. You never know. <laughs> Last question from my end. Do you have books that you often recommend maybe like to give people or that changed your life? Top three. Oh, this is a good one. I would also include movies into this. Sure. Books wise, and this is going to sound super weird. Um, the Art of War by Sun Tzu. Nice. I, I, you know, as a kid growing up, I played a lot of Total War games. And um, for some reason, like Shogun really impacted me. And I was really amazed by it. Of course, of course, also Rome Total War. And the Art of War is something about war, which, you know, I, I'm a pacifist. I like my dad. So we, um, I'm against conflict as much as, you know, you know, reasonably possible. And the art of war does have a philosophy in it though. It's about understanding yourself, understanding, understanding your strengths and weaknesses. And I think this philosophy can be applied to life. Um, I think so it's, be it's a better life book than it is about war actually, because I mean, ancient war is different than modern war anyway. So that's one. The other one, um, I would say is, um, the Prince from Niccolo Machiavelli, not because of like, you know, the methods are impossible or good. It's more about like thinking of how like certain dark aspects of human nature and power can be and understanding how far we can go as beings and how dark we can be. That is definitely like another one. As a third, it's this is an interesting one. The Last Kingdom from Bernard Cornwell which was one of the key books in my life um, because it tells the story of Othred um, in Northumbria in the, in the age of Viking invasions in, at Lindisfarne. And it tells of like a, a Northumbrian kid who gets kidnapped by the Vikings, uh, who is the son of the local lord there. And he, become, he gets adopted. Uh, they made a TV series of this like in the recent years, actually. And it, he uh, also appears in Vikings, right? The TV series? Yes. Yes. And it tells the story of someone that gets raised in two cultures and mm. it ha this person has perspectives on both cultures. And I felt really connected to that character because I was in between two cultures and two very different ways of thinking in life. So I thought it was amazing. And also it was historical, which I was really interested by. Movie-wise, there are a couple of key movies that I think are like really amazing and that I think everybody has to see. Um, one is called Life is Beautiful. It's an Italian movie about um, a family being put in a concentration camp 
and the father trying to make everything playful and as if it's a game to their um, kid in the camp. I thought it was like one of the most powerful movies I've ever seen. La Vita e Bella. Or yeah, La Vita e Bella. Yeah, I think it'll be Bella. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, I would say Goodbye Lenin um, is another one that I think is immensely powerful about um, having an ideology, having a way of life, and then like dealing with what other how other people live in their code. Um, and it's a, it's a German movie, I think one of the best German movies, Goodbye Lenin. Yeah, and the third one, if I could pick any, I would pick like The Conformist from Bertolucci. It's also <laughs> the name of our new game. Aha. It talks about Italian fascism and how darkness descends on the human soul whenever you're oppressed, both architecturally, mentally, socially. Yeah, uh, those are the three. And if, if you have uh, one comment about the books, um, have you ever read The Tao Te Ching by Lao Tzu? No, I haven't. Okay, highly recommended uh, if you like Machiavelli and uh, Sun Tzu, then uh, Lao Tzu with the much softer Tao Te Ching recommended the mm. uh, Stephen Mitchell translation. Yes, hereby recommended too. No, thanks. So, you made your own category of movies, but there's still then third category of <laughs> uh, what are your favorite games? Uh, also, one, two, three, maybe. Um, oh, that's a good one, too. I mean, I really, really like Crusader Kings as a game. It's a very complex, systemic storytelling machine of 50,000-plus characters in a historical setting. Um, it does role-playing and narrative systemically very well. Of course, it's not a written narrative, but... I think it's super interesting to, you know, have your own dynasty and have your family and, and deal with political and also relationship issues and stuff and also discover pieces of history while playing, which, you know, I always thought was the specific beauty of paradox games is that you can go into different times in human history and experience them as a person from a strategy perspective. I would say um, Project Reality, which is a mod that I've worked on and I was a big community member for a long time, but which then became the game squad actually the mod became the game mm -hmm. it's an interesting part shows the power of mods actually as as um, products um, of community democratized community development and i think project reality and squad it's not because they are military experiences uh, that they are successful it's because they're very objective and teamwork driven experiences where you have to communicate where you have to rely on each other where having a lot of score does not actually mean something. And I think I really appreciate that, you know, different design thinking behind a game where your personal gain as like having the highest score is not of consequence to winning a match. I like that. I think it's it shows you how you need to band together and, you know, work and cover each other's weaknesses and uh, stay in communication to achieve objectives. I think those games really fostered my team management and team leading capabilities even um, very early on. Um, yeah, so squad would be, squad and project reality would be that one. And as a third, I think something that left a lot of emotional impact um, was um, definitely like The Witcher 3, I would say, because it, it really made me f like feel like I have like a real connection with the characters and I felt like I lost them whenever the game ended. Like I had this like, um, like a significant 
um, stasis of emotion when the game ended. I was like, whoa, like these people are gone. And I, and it was one of the, I think it was the only game where after it ended, like a few days had passed and I felt so lost and like, I wished the connections to be back that I went back into the game and I wanted to find the characters in the world and they ran out of content. So they were repeating the same dialogue piece and I actually felt sad. Um, I was like, oh, mm. damn it. That was it. Like it won't ever be, you know, yeah. continue. And I lost these people nearly. So it's kind of like, it was very powerful. And I think it's because of a couple of reasons that they've done that well. Um, it's a long experience where the characters stay, evolve, where your choices have impact on them. And I think that well-connected approach, um, yeah, creates this real social connection in your mind. Nice. Who is somebody from the games industry who you'd like to get to know? Oh, this is a good one. I mean, I have to say, I, I don't know how it all happened, but... I feel like I've met a, a good amount of people that I really respected as game designers and game developers. And somehow like life just allowed that to happen. So I'm, I'm really happy that I've met quite a few people that from Obsidian Entertainment who worked on Fallout uh, New Vegas, for example, which is one of my favorite RPGs. Uh, but The Witcher 3 topped that one, so I didn't add it to the list. But, you know, um, like I've met quite a few people right now Some of the people I'd be interested in, in meeting would, I think, definitely be more in, uh, from the from the Disco Elysium team, the Studios Elm, mm -hmm. because of like I'm really interested in this whole starting from this art perspective and how to how to transform that into like how they how did they, what did they go through to transform yeah. it into a game? I think that part really interests me because that's a massive project, much larger than Suzerain. Uh, and more costly probably than Suzerain from what I can tell. But I, I wanna I wanna understand the the philosophy behind it better. And yeah, that would be quite interesting. Other than that, um, you know, like I don't get too many. <laughs> this this is not a top three list. Yeah, okay. Um yeah, so I would say that would be the one that currently yes. would interest me. Yeah. All right. Actually we will make ourselves a little task to try and connect you to somebody. And I think I already have a way of connection in mind. That's, that's our internal like meta game for the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> who is someone you know who you would think that would be great on the podcast? Oh, this is a good one. So does this ha person have to be from Berlin or Germany or can no, it be international? No, it's an international. I mean, they should have a connection to games because that's like the overall topic, but no, could be. Um, I think uh, one of the persons I did a panel with uh, was quite the wealth of knowledge and, and information and very good perspective was um, George, Z George Zietz or Zietz, I think. Mm. Um, They 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 worked at they were at the Obsidian. Uh, yes. and I think the they have a lot of knowledge and, and and understanding of games and very very real challenges as well. And I think very very good person. I had multiple panels. I thought was very an expert and very wise and you know a good person to have on and philosophize and think and you know talk about experiences. I think yeah, super interesting. Yeah, and. The last question, where can people find you and your work? 
people can find me on, I mean, by the time I say X or Twitter, like a lot of things are going to change by the time people hear this. So I'll, I'll just say LinkedIn at this point, I guess, for myself, like LinkedIn uh, at Sergey Novak, and you can see me and I'm probably one of the only people on earth that has that name combination with the surname. So you will find me. That's A-T-A-S-E-R-G-E-Y-N-O-V-A-K. The company is called Torpor Games, T-O-R-P-O-R Games. Uh, we are, you know, reachable at www.torporgames.com. Um, and all the game information, everything is there. Uh, we also have a very vibrant Discord you can reach through the website and a very large subreddit community that is blowing up. So uh, feel free to join. And if you want to support our games and everything, um, you're welcome. Uh, we really want to create like a larger IP movement as well as, you know, promote the thought-provoking entertainment aspect of our work. Nice. That That's an interesting way of putting a megalomaniac, maniacal, like mindset, we want to create an IP movement. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Atta, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Simon, as always. And uh, until next time. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you for having me. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.